Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Good morning and welcome again. We are very grateful for this opportunity to be together. We're thankful for your presence today. We are glad that on a beautiful Sunday morning you've chosen to be here. And we're thankful for the presence of those who are visiting. As always, we want you to feel at home. We want to do everything that we can to encourage you. It may be the case that you are looking for a church home, and we want you to consider the work here. The elders have met with a number of individuals in recent months and have answered questions that they have had about the work. And I know that they would be more than happy to meet with you, answer any questions that you have, and talk to you about how you could become a part of the work here at Olive Branch. We have a great thing going here, and we have a lot of good things that are going on, and we want you to become a part of that. We do have a gospel meeting that is going to begin in a month. It's almost one month away, a little less than a month. And on Sunday of that gospel meeting, we have different speakers coming every day. Brother Alan Harris will be here. And Brother Hires is an appellate court judge in the state of Tennessee. He is the editor of The Spiritual Sword. He was a former preacher for the Getwell Church many years ago. And Brother Hires does a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, as well as his secular duties. But I would encourage you to be making plans to come and to be a part of that. I know that he will have some great lessons that day. And not just Brother Harris, but the others who are scheduled to come. We want to encourage you to, to certainly make plans to be a part of that. In our study today, we're going to be looking at the fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the declining values and morals of our country. And we asked the question, what can the righteous do? I'm convinced that those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we can be a force for good in this country. Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And I'm grateful for the influence that is exerted around the globe by those of us who are members of the body of Christ. But it is true. We are living in a day and time when our country is in moral shambles. A lot of things that are going on that many of us, the only thing we can do is shake our heads and wonder, is it possible that people will awaken? I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 5, and I want you to consider with me some characteristics that lead to disaster. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter talks about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said they serve as an example to those who would live ungodly. Now you and I, we know what happened to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed them. And so we talk about the changes that are taking place in our nation. And there are some characteristics that I believe are gnawing away at the foundation of the nation that you and I love and that we are a part of. And so I want you to look with me about what 
Look with me and consider what God has to say about the nation of Israel. Now as we think about Isaiah chapter 5, really when you begin looking at this chapter, one of the things that stands out is Isaiah is addressing the people that dwelt in Jerusalem and Judea. And in effect what they were doing, they were following in the footsteps of their sister Israel, the northern kingdom. And so in chapter 5, Isaiah in a very graphic way talks about the characteristics that are, are destroying the nation, the people of God. Now you and I, we live in the nation that is called America. And we're grateful to live in America. We're grateful for all the benefits and the blessings that God has so richly bestowed on us. We, however, are not like ancient Israel of old in the sense we are not the people of God. That is, the nation itself is not God's chosen nation. God's chosen nation today is the church. We are, as Paul said in Galatians 6, the Israel of God. But we are a nation of people. And, and so the way that we live affects the overall nation as a whole. And so let me just cite for you some, some characteristics that will ultimately lead to disaster. Now, in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah talks about the care and the blessings that God has bestowed on his children. And sadly, they took these for granted. And so he delivers a series of woes to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judea. And as I said a moment ago, they were following in the footsteps of their sister Israel. So we think, first of all, about their covetousness. And there are really six woes delivered, but I've lumped two together. But first of all, we think about the covetousness of God's people. Look, if you would, at verse 8. He said, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts said, Truly, many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones, without inhabitant. And then he says, For ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. The problem, and one of the problems that characterized these people of old, they were materialistic. In short, they were consumed by greed. And the picture that Isaiah is painting here is that of wealthy landowners preying upon the poor. Now we talk about greed in our day and time and really one of the things that is gnawing away at the foundation of our, of our nation, of our society, is greed. Someone has said, and I have quoted it here, that the covetous, if possible, would willingly take the sun from the poor. And the idea is they never have enough. Look at some of the problems that we have experienced in recent years with greed in our country. I think about some of the, some of the things that have surfaced from Wall Street. Individuals that have preyed on innocent people and they have literally built them out of millions and millions and millions of dollars. Why? Because of greed. 
a couple of high-profile cases not long ago where individuals ran Ponzi schemes. And so as a result of, of their practices, people today have been wiped out, financially speaking. And why is that? Because of greed? And, and when we look at, at the children of Israel and the long ago, you see that one of the problems that they had was greed. Amos directed his attention to those who were greedy. In Amos chapter 2, he talked about how they would sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals in chapter 2 at verse 6. Their greed, their covetous nature was such that really what they wanted was the Sabbath to hurry up and get over with so they could get back to business. Is that not the case with people today? People today, they're not interested in spiritual things by and large. They're interested in making money. I think about when I was growing up as a child in Chattanooga, Tennessee. On Sundays, everything was closed. People, people had a sense of respect for the Lord's day. Now, today we don't live under the old covenant. We're not, we're not to honor the Sabbath, which was the seventh day. But rather, we observe, we honor the Lord's day. And it seemed as if year by year, businesses began to open, and now it's business as usual on the, on the Lord's day. And a lot of times, people don't have time for the Lord because they've got too many other things going on. They have literally worked the Lord out of their schedules. And one of the reasons is because of greed and covetousness. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 13, 15. Take heed and beware. A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing, we shall therewith be content. And then he said, those that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare, and many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul talks about the love of money and how some people have been led astray from the faith because of a love for the almighty dollar. And so, Covetousness was literally destroying the foundation, the fiber of the nation. And it's destroying our nation today. And so that's something that we need to bear in mind. A second characteristic of God's people in days gone by, their carousings. And when we talk about their, their carousings, what we're, really, what we're really focusing in on is their drunkenness their dissipation. Not only did these people drink, they drank to excess. Look, if you would, at verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night, till wine inflames them. As you and I, as we look around in our society today, it's just heartbreaking to be quite candid, at the number of individuals whose lives are being marred and destroyed by drugs and alcohol. I want you to think about the multitudes of people in our nation 
who have become enslaved to alcohol, pot, or marijuana. Look at the number of people that are addicted to crack, meth, cocaine, and don't forget about prescription drugs. We talk about the problem, the problem of alcohol and drug usage in our country. It is, by all standards, an epidemic. People today have become so enslaved to these things, they can't live without them, or at least they think they can't live without them. And no doubt the devil, the devil just sits back and laughs. In Proverbs chapter 20, the wise man said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. In chapter 23 at verse 29, the wise man in the long ago asked the question, who has woe, who has sorrows, who has contentions, who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? You know who he's talking about here? He's talking about people who are enslaved to intoxicating drinks. Now we could make the application of other forms of drugs and alcohol is a drug. But you look at our nation today, look at the young people in our nation that are in jail today because of drugs and alcohol. Look at the number of deaths in our country that are attributed to drugs and alcohol. Look at the number of people today that will kill another person because of drugs and alcohol. And you tell me it's not destroying our nation. It is. And it was destroying the people in that day and time as well. Now drop down and look at verse 12 for a moment. In verse 12, here's what the prophet said. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and flute, and wine in their feast. But they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. One of the things that these people forgot about was God was going to render judgment upon them. And I think they took the attitude, well, let's just, let's just step back and see. I mean, will God really do that? But if you look at verse 12, when he talks about these musical instruments... What he is saying, in effect, is these people were going out and they were getting tanked. In other words, they were getting drunk. And then they were drowning out their consciences by alcohol and loud music. Now look at, look at, look at our nation today. Look how people today will literally try to drown out their sorrows and their guilt and their burdens and their problems with music and drugs, alcohol. That's what these people were doing. You remember what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun? Listen, times haven't changed. It may be packaged a little bit differently, but things are no different today than they were 2,000 years ago or 2,700 years ago for that matter. The bottom line is people are people. And when people leave the Lord, problems are going are to come about. Now we talk about characteristics that lead to destruction. You take people that have been made in the image and the likeness of God who are supposed to be living in such a way that they bring God honor and glory and then they, they degradate their own bodies and minds and you wonder what's going to happen to a nation, what's going to happen to, to a group of people. I can tell you what's going to happen. They're going to be destroyed. They're going down. That, that's what was happening to the nation. They were destroying themselves. 
And so, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Let me give you a third characteristic of these people. I want you to look at their callousness. When we talk about the callousness of these people, it's reflected in verse 18. Solomon says, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope. The picture here is that of a cart or wagon and it's being pulled, but not by animals, but by people. And the idea of the picture that Isaiah is painting is here's somebody who is literally pulling his sins behind him. They're in tow. That's what happens when people live in such a way that their lives are steeped in sin. And let me say this, sin is a cruel taskmaster. You go back and look at the burdens that were placed on ancient Israel in Egypt. Those burdens were nothing in comparison to the sins of God's people in the long ago. Sin is a terrible taskmaster. Solomon said the way of the transgressor is hard. You know, the beauty of Christianity, the beauty of, of, of Scripture is we have something to offer people. The world says Let's get it now. The world says, let's do what we want to do, how we want to do it, with, with no appreciation for Almighty God and His Word. What we're saying is, look, there's a better way to live. There's a lot better way to live. Paul said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That law is true in the natural realm. It's true in the spiritual realm. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So we talk about their deeds and then their defiance. Look at verse 19. Here, here we find the, the attitude of these people. Let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. What they were saying was, if you're going to render judgment on us, prove it. I mean, show us, then we'll believe it. You remember when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary and the people that were before the cross taunted him? They said, if he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and then we will believe it. That's what these people were saying. They were taunting the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah talks about in chapter 1, verse 4, how they provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. It's a frightening thing to shake your fist in the face of Almighty God. Sometimes I think we have the attitude that, hey, we don't need anybody. We don't need God. We don't need his word in our lives. Let me tell you what. We can shake our fist in his face. But when it's all said and done, God is still God and we are still people. And the last time I checked, God is on his throne and he still rules in the kingdoms of men. And so what God says, that's what's going to go despite what we may say or think. And so, their defiance. Let me give you a fourth characteristic of these people. Their confusion. They, they were completely confused, spiritually speaking. Look at verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness 
who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you see the problem here? They were corrupt in their moral distinctions. When people say no to God and his word, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to become, you're going to become disoriented, disillusioned. You're going to become confused. Look at our nation today. And, and we talk about the characteristics of our nation, and sometimes we look at, at the past and, and the question that continues to ring, why is it we can never learn from past history? Somebody has said, I believe it to be the case, if there's anything we've ever learned from history, it is we have not learned from history. Let that soak in for a minute. We just don't learn, do we? Look at the children of Israel time and again. They faced problem, they would cry out to God, he would deliver them. They would face another problem, they would cry out to God, he would deliver them over and over and over again. The cycle continued. And the bottom line is, they just never learned. What's the problem with us today? We don't learn. We've got the facts before us, but we just can't see the handwriting on the wall. So let me just, let me just say this. Number one, we live in a day and time where we call evil good. Let me give you two examples. Abortion. Look at the number of people in our, in our country, they don't have a problem with abortion. I read recently 55 million abortions have taken place in our country since 1973. 55 million babies aborted. That's a lot of people. The Bible says we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. We have housed within us a living soul. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9 that God is the father of our spirits. Housed within me is an eternal soul. Does God view the baby in the womb as a living being? You better believe he does. In the New Testament, the same Greek word that is used to describe the baby in the womb is used to describe the baby outside the womb. What does that say? It says God deems that as a living being, as a human soul. The wise man said God hates the hands of them that shed innocent blood. Does America have innocent blood on her hands? You better know it. 55 million, baby, 55 million babies that have been aborted. And then homosexuality. We talk about calling evil good. You can slice it any way you want to slice it. You can read, you can study, you can try to, you can try to, to twist, to circumvent what the Bible has to say, but when it's all said and done, here's what the Bible says. Homosexuality is a sin. Did you hear me? It is a sin. It was condemned by Almighty God in the Old Testament. It is condemned by Almighty God in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals. Shall what? Shall inherit the kingdom of God. I do not know how the Apostle Paul could have been any plainer. Was the Apostle Paul writing by inspiration? Read 1 Corinthians 14, 37. Paul was an inspired man. What the Apostle Paul said was a commandment of Almighty God. We've got churches today that are, 
that are ordaining people in certain places, certain positions, who are practicing homosexuals. That's a perversion. It is a perversion of the word of Almighty God. Now we live in a day and time, we live in a society where in our country some are honoring same-sex marriages. Washington may honor same-sex marriages, but God in heaven does not honor those marriages. I don't care what man says. I don't care what the president says. I don't care what Congress says. I don't care what the Senate says. This is what God said in his word. And that, my friends, is the truth. That's what the book says. That's what it says. And as they say, it is what it is, and it's not changing. And then we call good evil. Let me tell you how we call good evil in this country. We've taken this book that's called the Bible and we have made it the proverbial whipping post of our day and time. We live in a day and time when people, sadly, they don't have any usage for this book. I wish the people in Washington had an appreciation for this book. And that starts with the president all the way down. I don't care who they are. If they are in a position of power and they don't have respect for this book, they're going to stand before Almighty God one day and give an account of that. That's inclusive of us. But we talk about this book and the blessings that are contained in this book, all of the moral ills of our country, all of the problems and the heartaches and the burdens that people are bearing in this life today. Have you ever thought we could correct a lot of those with this book right here? If we would just take this book and live by it, we could bless our lives. But we have the idea we don't need God. And we don't need his word. And so we are consistently chipping away, chipping away at the foundation of our nation. And what we've said is, we don't need the word of God. One day the rooster is going to come home to roost if it's not already here. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. God's word will profit us. It'll profit our nation if we'll follow it. You take, let me just give you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus gave the golden rule. The golden rule is simply do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, does anybody have a problem with that? Can you imagine the changes that would take place in our country if people just treated others like they wanted to be treated? Would we have a problem with murder? No. Would we have a problem with covetousness? No. Would we have a problem with adultery? No. Would we have a problem with theft? No. You see how easy that is? But no, we don't need God, do we? Well, this book is good. But there are people in our country today that are saying it's evil. We need to recognize this book is the book that we ought to live by. And then finally, the conceit of God's people. Go back again and look at chapter 5, verse 21. In verse 21, here's what Isaiah said. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Here's the problem. They were relying on their own wisdom rather than the wisdom of Almighty God. And really, there, there's a correlation here. When individuals have the idea that they don't need God and they don't need his word, then 
Mayhem's going to follow. You can just mark it down. When we have the idea that we are intellectually superior to the word of God, to the will of God, then we're going to face heartache and trouble. Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's what we need to do. Trust in Almighty God. Think, think for a moment about the people who lived during the period of the judges. That 350-year period that is called the Dark Ages. The Bible says in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. What's the standard? Not the word of God. It's what man says. What was the problem here? People thought they didn't need God. They, they, they had the idea that they could rely on their own wisdom and intellect and what God is saying is that's not the case. Look at all of the universities across this country. Look at all the schools that, that we've been blessed with in our country. We've got a lot of smart people. But sadly, we have a lot of people who intellectually are very bright, but spiritually are unenlightened. Back to the Bible. That's what we need to do. Go back to the Bible. We need to call people in this nation back to the Bible. Isaiah had it right. When he said, come, let us reason together. My plea today is that we would reason with people in our country and that we would tell people, look, we are, we are bearing out characteristics that will destroy us individually and collectively. My prayer is that men and women all across this country would awaken and choose to live for Almighty God. Let me ask this question today. Are you a Christian? Christianity is the way to go. It's the only way to go. Christianity will bless your life. The Bible tells us that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10, verse 10. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to do what they did on Pentecost Day when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you'll do that, God will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. And if you'll be faithful till death, promise is the crown of life. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you're not what you ought to be. Could we encourage you to come home? Could we encourage you to come home to Almighty God who will abundantly pardon? First John 1, 9 as we stand and sing.